Our scripture lesson today comes from the first chapter of Luke, verses 26, and I will end at verse 33. This is the familiar story of the Annunciation to Mary uh, by the angel explaining the birth of her child. And we will cut the, stop the story uh, midway. You can pick it up on Christmas Eve, but I want to stop it at the point at which I'm um, going to preach the sermon. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, as we gather in this place today, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts, by the people who are seated next to us, be they stranger or closest people in the world to us. May the thoughts and feelings the music brings forth from us, and may our unspoken and spoken prayers all give you glory and edify your people. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. One morning this week I had left the house and had driven rather than walked to church, which is my normal way. For I had a luncheon at which I would need my car. I had come from reading emails in which I had first had an intense reading of a friend's anguish and anger over the degree of Israel's response to the terrorist attack of October the 7th and the sheer number of Palestinian civilians who have been killed in that response. This friend is a retired professor of European history, and his email was more than simply an expression of feeling. It contained facts and figures and citations of the sources from which he he had drawn them. At approximately the same time, I had received a text from a Jewish friend who was traveling in Europe and fearful of wearing a Star of David because of the degree and intensity of the protests against Israel near the hotel in which she was staying and the resulting fear for her own personal safety. Two communications from two people I know and respect, intense, poignant, tragic, angry, sad. Communications about war in another continent far away from us 
which in an earlier generation would have been written by hand and sent by mail, arriving if at all days, if not months, after circumstances on the ground might have changed. But communications which in our age were sent in the moment of their conception and arrived instantly. We are a divided country, a divided world, many of us even divided within our friendships and family relationships. And we have the ability to communicate our strongest emotions that arise out of these divisions as soon as we experience them. And we have the ability to share them with people close to us or with anyone else in the world who has a handheld device. That same morning I had done a bit of a, had also done a bit of work on the sermon and had in my mind an equally intense, though theologically dense passage in a book by Fleming Rutledge. It was a passage which ties the birth of Christ, we are around the corner from celebrating, with his crucifixion on the cross. Rutledge writes, the incarnation is the other essential pole of the Christian confession, of the Christian faith. God's whole self is totally, unreservedly, unconditionally invested in the self-offering, even to death on a cross, of the man, the human being, Jesus. She continues, if God is not truly incarnate in Jesus as he accomplishes his work on the cross, then nothing has really happened from God's side and we are thrown back on ourselves. If there is no incarnation of the Godhead in Jesus' sacrifice, she says, there is no salvation apart from what human beings can contribute. So in addition to the heaviness of the email and text I had received about the Hamas-Israel war and the density of the theological writings that I had read, I was late for an appointment, and like many people in this busy season, I had been frazzled for several hours, and it was only 9.30 in the morning. As I pulled into the church parking lot, just as I was about to shut the engine off, fling wide the door, race inside the church for my appointment, familiar, quiet notes came into the car from the NPR station that had not yet quite silenced in my vehicle. I closed the door, took a deep breath, adjusted the car seat backwards a little bit and just listened.
When the music ended, the moment of beauty gave me a sense of peace that led me to open the door, gather my briefcase, bound into the church at no slower pace than I initially was wont to do, but to enter with less anxiety, indeed with some sense of peace, and face the tasks of the day. At some point in this season, I hope that each of us experiences a moment of inbreaking beauty, a moment that stops us in our tracks just as I was stopped. And I hope that you will, when such a moment occurs, stop and listen, watch, touch, taste, smell, whatever it is that is creating that moment of beauty. I hope instead of breaking news, you will experience in breaking beauty. It is such beauty that hallows all of creation, all of life. It is what saves us in this life and the next. Yet the birth of Christ, the incarnation of the Godhead in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, is even more significant than the simple experience of beauty his birth brings and we experience beholding it. If God is not fully incarnate up to the final moments of Jesus' painful death, if God does not fully experience his inhumane suffering on the cross, just as God experiences the inhumane suffering that we inflict on one another, if on the cross it is simply Jesus suffering as a human being and not God suffering in God's very own being, then all we have to fall back on are the momentary experiences of beauty that we seek to create or that come upon us in this life and to which we hold on for dear life. If God is not truly incarnate in Jesus, as he accomplishes his work on the cross, Rutledge says, then nothing has really happened from God's side and we are thrown back on ourselves. And I'm convinced that ourselves are not who we want to be thrown back on. We just can't do it alone. In addition to relishing the beauty of the incarnation in that brief moment, listening to O Holy Night, listening in the church parking lot, I share an additional but heavy view concerning the meaning of Christmas that Fleming Rutledge articulates. Namely, she writes that in the incarnation of Christ, God is invading the territory held by the Prince of Darkness. Now, it's fine for movies and fantasies and books and video games and old-fashioned comic books to use a phrase like the Prince of Darkness. It's fine for mythology and religions far more outside the mainstream than we are with worship styles that would make us uncomfortable. It's fine for them to use phraseology like that. But I am not really concerned about phraseology. 
I'm not really concerned about the nomenclature we give to the power of evil or any source we might attribute to it. The reality is it is evident all around us. It is what makes or leads us to need these moments of beauty breaking in. The power of evil is evident in terrorist attack. It is evident in intentional and unnecessary cruelty committed in acts of war. It is present in anti-Semitic and anti-Islamic acts committed around the world. And to my mind, it is present in the paralysis of our own government, the paralysis of our own society that seems to get so wrapped up in who we are that we withdraw and don't use or are tempted not to use the power and influence we have to keep evil at bay somewhat. There is no greater evidence of the presence of the power of darkness than human warfare, and many of you know that because you have lived with it or around it. And there's no greater evidence than the ways we cooperate with it and pave the way for its entrance into human history. But as Rutledge reminds us, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ, the birth of a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, in the West Bank, promises and embodies that on the last day, whenever it comes, in whatever form it occurs, there will only be one ruler, one Lord. The judge of the cosmos is not going to be the prince of darkness. We are, got, we are not going to be left in the hands of that one. Radical evil will have no status. Death, as Paul says, will have no dominion. The victory of our Lord and his Christ will be the absence of evil forever. This is the deeper beauty of the incarnation of Christ. It is deeper even than the beauty of a holy night. The victory of our Lord in Christ will be the absence of evil. So at this point, I'm only 1,400 words into this sermon, which is about three-fourths of the normal. So you're about to get a break today because it's almost coming to an end now the title of the sermon is no end but that's not intended to be a description of its duration <laughs> the words of this kingdom of his kingdom of Christ's kingdom there will be no end these words were spoken to Mary when the angel announced her pregnancy to her and when the angel said to her of her child to be born of his kingdom, there will be no end. The reign of, the reign of Christ, the reign and rule of Christ over all the actions of the cosmos, over all the actions for good or ill of the nations of the world, over all the natural world and its beauty and its vain, the reign and rule of Christ will have no end. It will have no end 
its rule over the climate, with its wonder, and with its threats. Over our lives and all their beauty and their disappointment. Over our families with all their capacity and intention to nurture. And with all the ways they don't live up to that. The reign and rule of Christ will prevail over all our relationships with all their sustenance and their distance. It will prevail over our hearts. It will prevail over the vacations in which we, the vocations in which we choose to serve and the vacations we choose to take. And the reign and rule of Christ will prevail over the politics into which we are drawn for engagement and service. The reign and rule of Christ will have no end. No end. This is the source of beauty that stops us in our tracks and keeps us going every day, every week, every month with grit, with determination, with courage, with hope, and with joy. No end. Amen.